Doncic wins the game at the buzzer. Here we go. Welcome to another edition of The Gunshot. My name is Grant Gunn, joined with my sister Lauren, writer at Mavs Moneyball and co-host of the Blue Hardwood Podcast. We have a great episode for you guys today. We sit down with Ben Perkins, trainer at Perk Performance, uh, director of John Lucas Enterprises, uh, and trainer of 2021 draft prospect Quentin Grimes, uh, swing guard out of Houston. So we sit down and talk with Ben about what it's like to be a trainer, how he got involved in that. Uh, And then we talk some about Quentin Grimes right now. He's a late first, early second round projected pick. So a lot of great things there. Uh, We're also going to break down just the lottery picks and some honorable mention players. We're just going to scroll through Tankathon and talk about some of our favorite prospects and things we like about them. But before we get going on that, Lauren, since we have last recorded, last time we talked, Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Yeah, a week ago today, uh, we watched it together. Um, so yeah, that was, that, that was very fun. Um, you and I kind of talked about going back and forth as far as who we were rooting for, kind of rooting for a game seven. Uh, but I think as that game six kind of came around, we both were just really excited for how things were coming together for Milwaukee. Everybody that was there, uh, that evening in the deer district, how packed and how excited that arena felt. And so kind of towards the end of the game, it just felt like it was Milwaukee's night and they were going to they were going to wrap it up. So it was really cool to see that and kind of see Giannis have his moment and then just finish the game. And you can just see the physical exhaustion that he was dealing with. And then just immediately sitting down and crying. I think when, when that moment happened, uh, I did, I did like, I felt the tears coming a little bit. I'm not going to lie. And so it was just really great to see Milwaukee bring it home. Uh, I had also mentioned to you like all the great stories with Milwaukee, obviously us as Mavs fans, Justin Jackson was in there. So that was kind of cool for him. The connection between Mike Budenholzer and even Jeff Teague, who had a great line today saying that he got a group, he got an A on the group project um, when asked how he asked how he felt. Um, So just seeing that connection all from the relationship history, all the way back to Atlanta, like Drew Holiday. I mean, so many great stories with that Milwaukee team, Bobby Portis, obviously. So really, really great stuff. Uh, I loved that Milwaukee team and I was thrilled for them. So really great to see, see them bring one home for the city of Milwaukee. What did you think on that series and and the game six victory? That series was a lot of fun. Uh, like you said, we were rooting for a game seven, but I think deep down, I want him honest to get his first. Right. Uh, that, that was just a very cool series. I got to shout out my Aggie Lauren. We haven't done sleepers in a while because it's kind of hard to do in the playoffs. Uh, but I'm right. going to give, I'm going to give the Aggie shout out of the week to Chris Middleton who uh, won like his first NBA championship. So I was super happy for that. Uh, we also got two middle market teams, which I know you and I have talked about before, but it's big to see those middle market teams competing in the finals. And I think it's huge for Giannis to, at the beginning of the season, called his shot and saying, I'm here in Milwaukee. I want to be here. This is my team. They drafted me. I don't want to be anywhere else. And then to turn around and back it up with the championship is absolutely awesome. So I loved that for Giannis. Uh, I, both these teams were very well construction constructed. And so I, I just enjoyed this series a lot. I'm sad it's coming to an end, but nonetheless, the NBA never sleeps. We are on uh-huh. to the NBA draft. Lauren, we are two days away from the NBA draft. Um, such a quick turnaround because of, of the NBA schedule from the finals to the draft. I think it's a total of nine days. Um, but Lauren, is there anything else you want to talk about the, the NBA finals before we dive into the NBA draft and discussing the prospects this year. Um, 
real quick, I want to touch on just to kind of keep the same trend that we've been following as far as how the teams that when they finish or get eliminated, however you want to view it, how they will be affected by the offseason. So really just real quick, want to touch on both Milwaukee and Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix, real quick, don't think a whole lot changes for them. Mikhail Bridges, I think, is coming up due on an extension. I'm not sure if it's this year or if it will be the following year. I feel like it might be the following year, but I don't think much changes for them. I read today that there's mutual interest uh, in a Chris Paul return, and there's interest from Chris Paul to to return and, and finish the job, hopefully, in Phoenix. So I don't think too, too much changes for them. Uh, we'll see if they if they make any other moves, any other additions, what that looks like for them. Milwaukee, on the other hand, is a little bit more fascinating. Bryn Forbes declined his player option today. Uh, and Bobby Portis actually, while I think he would, he would probably like to return, um, is due for some more money. And so I was reading that there's, they might have to get a little creative and trying to find a way to retain him. Um, but a team, the only way that they could bring him back, I believe was on in the MLE. Uh, and they might just, they might have to get a little creative on how they want to do that. So I don't know if a team might try to come in and swoop in for Bobby, but I've been reading that that is a possibility if a team really likes what he brings and uh, decides that they want to pay him a little bit to, to steal him away. So I'm not sure what lies ahead there, but you just never know. Cause like you said, the NBA never sleeps. What do you think about Milwaukee uh, and Bobby Portis potentially being out there or even Brim Forbes? Do you have any interest in, in, in Brim Forbes or maybe even in another team that might use uh, another rotational scoring kind of guard off their bench? Yeah, I think Forbes is is a guy who you kind of could bring in anywhere. He doesn't need to give you a ton of minutes, but he's going to be an elite shooter that you can plug in in any big situation. Uh, and he's just going to help space the floor. So I think he's a great a great piece. Bobby Portis is a guy who can come off the bench and create some offense for you. The problem when you win a championship is that everybody becomes a little more valuable because everyone sees right. that as, oh, I've got a piece that I can add to my deck to help bolster my rotation. And so um, – it's always tough to repeat for that reason as well. So I don't, I don't exactly know what um, Milwaukee has to look forward to, but I know that they've got their core coming back, the Drew Holiday, the Chris Middleton, and Giannis. Right. And, and that is going to make things easier. And honestly, I think they might even have Lopez coming back as well. So uh, things don't look too bad for Milwaukee in the new fu- near future. Uh, definitely excited for them. Mm-hmm. Giannis uh, had a good old time at Chick-fil-A. Uh, and, no and I believe one of the workers on his Instagram live said, you get free Chick-fil-A if you repeat. So he's like, oh man, the things you got to do. So <laughs> if, if nothing I else motivates, if nothing else motivates Giannis, uh, maybe it'll be Chick- free Chick-fil-A for life. So there you go. Big I fan. I've, definitely, we're a week out definitely. from him winning the championship and I have yet to try the half Sprite, half lemonade. Next time I go to Chick-fil-A, mm. it's definitely going to happen. Um, 100%. But uh, that, that was awesome to see the fans swarming him as well. I did want to touch on Phoenix. One thing they have, Chris Paul is by, like, by no means a, a set, um, set on returning. He could very well go somewhere else. He's going to be a free agent this summer. So I'll be interested to see what that means for him. Um, does he think that Phoenix has reached its ceiling or does he not even care and think that he can help raise somebody else's? So. Very interesting to see what Chris Paul does. There's a lot of guards out there, the Mike Conley's, the Kyle Lowry's, um, Ben Simmons on the trade market, maybe even to some degree. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see what happens with some point guards this year because what we've seen with Chris Paul is, is a guy like that can help change the, um, the path of a team. So um, I think that's going to be huge for the Suns because without him, 
they just need that ceiling raiser. I think their floor got raised next year, even without Chris Paul. The experience that those other guys got was extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. They need Chris Paul or somebody like that to help uplift them and help run the fourth quarter when things get tough. So we'll see what that means for them and, and what will happen there. But I think it's time we move on to the NBA lottery. We're just going to run through 14, 15 guys, maybe some honorable mentions. We're not going to spend too long, but we're just going to talk about some of the things we like about them. Maybe a, a couple of teams that we could see picking them, maybe where we see them, like the highest maybe they'd rise or the lowest they'd fall kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Lauren, is there anything else you want to talk about before we dive in? No, I think that that's, that's perfect, kind of talking about some of the potential uh, options because I think everybody's pretty much on the same page that after about pick four, things could get a little crazy. So talking about some p- different results as opposed to just one single mock draft I think is is important. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and start with Cade Cunningham. Lauren, I don't have a ton to say on him because I personally don't think I add anything to the conversation that hasn't already been said about Cade. Personally, I don't see Detroit trading this pick, uh, but just a little scouting that I've done. This guy's just got an elite touch inside. He's definitely athletic. He's a great shooter. Um, He's a little turnover prone, but I think that happened to his high usage at Oklahoma State. Just always had the ball in his hands, Um, and he just has great vision, so... I, the other thing, the other note I put is, yep, he's first. So I didn't really spend too much time because it didn't take much to see that this guy is for real. Lauren, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I've seen some of the uh, – I don't have anything anything to add on his his scouting notes. I think everybody pretty much knows what you're getting with Kate Cunningham. Um, as far as, like, trade potential, I really just don't see that happening. I know I've seen some of the OKC stuff um, – I would be very surprised. Like I would be floored if he got traded. So I, I continue to see these things and I just don't see it happening. I also saw today that Troy Weaver said that, um, you know, everybody's a fit. They got had 20 wins last year. So everyone on their team is a fit and they want to make sure that they make the right pick. Uh, but I think the relationships are kind of already there with Cade. He is that number one kind of fit and and player that's just I mean he's a big guard and so he's I just think it's kind of meant to be and it will be so that's pretty much where I stand with the number one pick absolutely so moving on right to number two we're just Mm -hmm. going by Tankathon's mock draft um so number two currently the mock draft has has Houston taking Jalen Green Lauren what are your thoughts Mm -hmm. there um, my thoughts there are that that is the correct pick. Um, I think that there's a, I mean, I'm, and, and I also want to preface this by saying that just because the, just because of the order that we give or put some guy over another, I'm not necessarily saying that this guy's a better player or this guy is going to have a better career than this guy, because I think Evan Mobley is going to have a fantastic career. Uh, but Jalen green, I think is the perfect pick for Houston. Um, he's, he's the type of guy that you bring in and that could change your, um, your timeline. It's very difficult to, to do that when you bring in a big kind of, and, and you're a big becomes your franchise cornerstone. That's, that's definitely dif- more, more difficult, I should say. than when you bring in someone that's a guard, I think you said it one time when we were chatting that um, if you were to start the league or if you were to start a team with anybody and pick anybody in the league, I think eight, eight or nine of the other guys that you pick are going to be guards. Um, and, and I couldn't agree with that more. So personally, I think he's so versatile. He can score at all three levels. Um, and, and even a couple of years ago, like a couple of years ago, looking at this mock draft, like years out, Jalen green was the number one pick everyone. Like when he was at prolific prep, everyone was watching him saying that this kid is the kid to watch. And so Cade Cunningham 
obviously deserves all the respect, but Jalen Green has been a guy that's been on the radar for a very long time. So I think he's the right pick for Houston, and I think he's going to uh, really live up to what, what it is that they're going for there. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so like you mentioned at the top, this is by no means our mock draft or big board. However, I will say this. I have Green behind Suggs on my big board, and it's really only because of the sample size played. It was kind of hard to judge only on 15 games compared to 33 for Suggs. And that's not to say that I watched all 33 or all 15 games. I just think the things you saw um, Suggs do was a little bit more developed isn't the right word either. Um, you, you just get more of what a guy can do over a course of, of a five or six months in, a, in an NCA season versus the two months or three months of the G league. So for, for me, um, I prefer Suggs, but we'll talk about him in a minute. What I do want to talk about is Green. Uh, you could easily talk me into this guy being ahead of Suggs. Uh, this guy's just incredibly athletic. Uh, he can get his own shot from just about anywhere on the floor. He's very comfortable. Um, and he's elite in transition. I think this guy, his athleticism is just going to put him leaps and bounds above some of the others in this class. Uh, I do worry he's a little turnover prone. He had about a one-to-one assist turnover ratio uh, in the G League, which you say, that's not horrible, but he, he was averaging about 2.7 turnovers. So if he's going to be a guard, uh, maybe handling the ball, that that concerns me a little bit, but not not obscenely because this guy's probably not going to be your primary ball hander at all times. Um, and, and you're going to need to give him time to grow. Like you're not going to care if he's turning the ball over three or four times a night. You want him shooting and getting as comfortable as he can playing at an NBA level. So I actually, I absolutely love this pick too. Like, there would be no um, qualms for me if, if Houston goes number two with Jalen Green. Like I said, I would prefer Suggs uh, over Green, uh, and I would prefer both of those guys on Evan over Evan, Evan Mobley for the reason you talked about. I just think it's easier to find a star big than it is a star guard, and maybe that's not the best way to put it. Maybe it's better to say you're more likely to find a star as a guard than you will a big. And so that's where I lean just taking a wing, a scorer like Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs over an Evelyn, Evan Mobley. Um, but that's personal preference. Like I said, these guys are all great. So um, enough on Jalen Green. I do think I do think these next three guys, these the Mobley, Green, and Suggs are all guys that I could see anywhere as high as two or anywhere as low as four. I don't see any of these right. three kind of falling past four. So enough about Jalen Green. Lauren, next the mock draft has Cleveland on Tankathon taking Evan Mobley. What do you want to say about Evan mm-hmm. Mobley? Um, you know, this is, I don't want to say this is where it gets tough because I, I, I think it will be Evan Mobley here, even considering the fit with Jarrett Allen. Uh, if I'm Cleveland, I'm going to try to make that work. And if you have to move off of Jarrett Allen, well, you're going to sign him in restricted free agency if you decide to keep him around. And so he'll still be uh, a, a valuable asset that you can that you can trade and, and move if you need to so it's kind of difficult because there's the Colin Sexton rumors right now so Cleveland Cleveland has some things to figure out um and so that is kind of where I'm like okay well if you don't if you're Cleveland and Darius Garland had a have fantastic season and, and, and even Colin Sexton had a solid season but if they're shopping Colin Sexton because maybe they don't already like the fit I mean that is supposedly supposed to be on paper a complimentary duo. So if if you're already shopping one of the two, then you should probably get someone to replace the one that you're shopping if you have the intention uh, of moving him. And if you don't move him, well, then one, it's kind of awkward keeping him around. And two, well, 
then you draft Evan Mobley, who is not, I don't want to say a, a questionable fit, because if you have a top five pick in a draft, you probably don't, there's no such thing as a questionable fit. So um, it's just kind of like, well, what do you do with Jared Allen? Like what it, I think that there's enough, what I'm trying to say is there's enough of an argument to take Jalen Suggs here, uh, especially because he's talked about as kind of having uh, just a unique thing about him that makes him a winner and just makes him a guy that you're like, man, I can really give the keys to him. He could be the, the, my franchise cornerstone. And so uh, I think he had Suggs has that potential, but Evan Mobley is, is so talented. Um, and I, I just think he's the right pick for, for Cleveland. It's really hard to even imagine him being on the board at four. Um, I don't want to say it's there's zero chance that that happens Toronto fans, but um, I have to imagine that Evan Mobley gets picked here. He is that talented. So if you have to move off of Jared Allen, I don't think Cleveland has a problem doing that. Um, and I think that there would be a lot of suitors out there for um, Jared Allen. It would just be very interesting to see if they take Evan, how they go about free agency and what are they willing to match? And if you're willing to match, well, how much of that is taking into consideration the likelihood that he gets traded within a year, within the next year, whatever the case may be. So a lot of, a lot of decisions to be made uh, for Cleveland on draft night and even moving forward. But I have to imagine Evan Mobley is the pick here. What are your thoughts? Yeah, Cleveland's in an interesting spot just because regardless of what they do, you worry about having a log jam at that position. And, and you, don't want mm-hmm. to, you don't want too much redundancy in, in your picks and your prospects. But um, drafting in this position, you just don't, like you said, you don't have the, the option of drafting for fit. So I think Evan Mobley's probably the right pick here. Um, I, I lean Suggs, but you have Darius Garland and Colin Sexton as well as two guards uh, already. So I think I think you lean towards the big and Evan Mobley notes that I have on him. He's just got incredible defensive instincts. The guy just pops off the ground. Uh, he, he has a nice touch on offense uh, inside and from the free throw line. So I think he'll have success in there. Uh, he does have a bit of a slender frame with time. I think in the league, he'll put on some weight, uh, but I worry about him defending bigger guys like Embiid if he's in the East uh, or even Jokic, depending on kind of where he goes. But like I said, with time, he'll put on some weight, he'll get stronger and that won't be a long-term issue. I do think he kind of benefits the most from having a pass, a pass point, gosh, a pass first point guard. Words are hard. So whether that is, or excuse me, Milwaukee, uh, whether that is Toronto or here with Cleveland, those those places both have point guards who I think he would benefit playing with. And and all that to say, even if he goes to number two at Houston, um, they may not have a, a pass pass point. Words are hard. See, I can't I can't say pass first point guard. <laughs> but uh, John John Wall definitely would would help his game to some degree too. Um, but but this is this is a guy that you just want to develop. Like none of these teams are going to compete next year outside of maybe Toronto, um, depending on how things go getting back in Toronto. Um, so so you're just going to let this guy develop. He's he's got all the tools, like you said. Great great athlete, very talented. His footwork is incredible, um, and and I. I don't have any doubts. He, he kind of reminds me if, if anybody's familiar with watching Embiid, Embiid doesn't handle the ball a ton, but he's comfortable with the ball anywhere on the floor. And so I, I feel Evan Mobley's very similar that way when he handles the ball. By no means is this guy bringing it up every single play, but he's comfortable handling the ball, which I think is huge for a big. So no doubt that he's going to be very successful over the years. So moving on to Jalen Suggs, Lauren, uh, what do you want to talk about him? 
Uh, I, I really like Jalen Suggs, kind of what I mentioned before about how he's got, uh, I keep hearing that he's got a little something different in terms of the people that talk to him and the people that are around him. Uh, they just think he's, he's a unique prospect and that these top four guys all have really high ceilings, but that Suggs has something a little bit different. And so I'm not, I, I can't exactly pinpoint and say, oh, that's what that is. And it, he would be best here because of that. But uh, I think Suggs going at four will be the most likely outcome. It will be interesting to see if Toronto is actually picking at four, because I think that there's a chance that, you know, maybe we see a little movement, maybe we see OKC. But I think, I, I to be honest with you, I think no matter who's picking at four, it's going to be Jalen Suggs. Um, and whoever is picking at four and walks away with Jalen Suggs is going to be getting uh, a gem. I can't wait to see what he does. People keep talking about how he was a quarterback as well in high school. I think that'll be very fascinating to see if uh, like how that comes into play in terms of how he is in transition or just how he plays at the pace of the NBA, because it is different than the college game. Um, And so I'll I'll be interested to see, I I imagine anytime he has a pass that goes, I don't know, a quarter or like anything that seems to be like a long pass in transition, the announcers will bring up the fact that he was a quarterback in in high school. No doubt in my mind. I think uh, the entire NBA community should play a drinking game. And anytime he's playing a national television game, that they mention he's a quarterback, everybody takes a shot. Um, but no, I think Jalen Suggs would be a great pick. I like him in Toronto. I think with Fred Van Fleet, he could continue to learn. He's super athletic. Fred Van Fleet's obviously a little bit undersized, more of like a, a scoring shooting guard, um, uh, not shooting guard, but you, you, you get what I'm saying. And so uh, I think getting Suggs would be a nice balance there. And I would love to see him continue to develop. So I like Suggs. I like the thought of him going to Toronto. I just don't know if it's going to happen, but I also love him with OKC. I'll just be honest. I'm just going to throw it out there, but uh, there's a lot of, a lot of options here. Uh, but yeah, Suggs as a prospect is, is fantastic. Uh, so, but I'm going to go ahead and give you the floor. Cause uh, I feel like you, you've got all the, all the notes on Jalen Suggs and, and I want to hear what it is that you have to say. Yeah. I, I've taken notes on a lot of these guys as, as we've scouted, we did a little bit of scouting together uh, throughout these right. past few months. Um, Jalen Suggs, I think he's a guy that does a little bit of it all. He doesn't need to score to be effective or have an impact on the game. I think he's very good on defense, has has great instincts. He's not trying to do too much when he's out there, but he, his athleticism is going to benefit him. He's great in transition, uh, can score from, from anywhere on the floor. Um, and he has good vision as a guard. I, I think people see him mostly as a point guard, and so that's going to translate well. He's just got great awareness. I kind of see him as a Jamal Murray type. Um, on the floor, just just in the same way that he he can score, but doesn't need to be the primary scorer in order to succeed. So, I definitely like Suggs. Like like I said, we've talked about four guys by now. Assuming Cade goes first, and the other three are up in the air, I don't see any of these people sliding past four. So, like you said, don't know if it'll be Toronto on trade night, um, but I do think these are your first four picks, regardless of who it is making those picks. Agreed. I think, uh, I think what, as we discuss these next picks, this is kind of where it gets a little bit, okay. I can see this team taking him. I can see kind of, I think, I think the plan is that we'll follow the tankathon order in terms of guy like names, but I think talking about where they could be good fits, uh, is definitely going to be something that's, that's worth your while. Absolutely. So currently right now, next on tankathon, the Orlando magic are, are looking at Scotty Barnes. So let's talk about Scotty Barnes a little bit. Lauren, what do you, what do you like about him? What do you think here? So I like, I love Scotty. I think he's super versatile. Uh, the wingspan is like one of the first thing that stands out to me when I watch his film, I'm like, look at those arms. They just, conti- they just seem to, to keep going. And so uh, he plays with a lot of energy. 
He's listed as a power forward on Tankathon, but you and I watched him and he handles the ball a lot. He played a little bit of point guard at FSU. So uh, I love how versatile he is. And if he does end up somewhere like Orlando or even OKC, uh, I think that that would, those would be great spots for him because he'd get to have a lot of playing time, a lot of reps, uh, and that would allow him to kind of continue to develop and grow multiple areas of his game. I think Toronto really likes Scotty Barnes which is why if that OKC trade happens, I tweeted this out earlier. Uh, if that happens, then, and, and, and Toronto decides to move down a little bit, well, then maybe you look at them saying, hey, well, maybe we're not getting Suggs, but we really like Scotty Barnes and we think he'd be a really a really great addition uh, to this Raptors team. So I could see Scotty going to Toronto, Golden State, or OKC. I don't see him falling further than six. Yeah, I think there's a world where you could talk me into him sliding to seven, though I just think that's too unlikely. I, th- I think um, when you talk about Scotty Barnes, I think his his highest upside is as a playmaker. Like you said, he's 6'8", but he's a guy who can handle the ball. I think he really on offense could play any position one through four uh, because he does have that big frame, like you said. The guy is just very athletic. Uh, I, I don't worry about his um, off-ball skills. Uh, I do think right now he's he's limited as a scorer. He's not the best mm-hmm. shooter in the world. He only Agreed. shot 20, 27% shooting uh, almost two threes a game. So, like, he, he's not going to stroke it from outside. But this is a guy you can give the ball and, and let him create for himself and others. And so I think he's got tremendous upside as a player. Um, when you look at him compared to Kaminga, I think he's a little more NBA-ready right now. Uh, and, and he is a year older than Kaminga, so take that for what it's worth, Uh draft Twitter nerds like I am, but um, I, I think you're looking at these guys who are 18 and 19 years old, not not worrying about that one-year difference enough. I do like Scotty Barnes better than Kaminga um, for that mm-hmm. reason, but um, I, I, like I said, I don't think you're wrong here. I think to see Scotty Barnes and Kaminga, I think they most likely go 5-6 in this draft. I don't know what mm-hmm. order because I think you could talk you could talk me into taking Kaminga first only because his offensive upside, in my opinion, is huge. Uh, and here I go. I think, I think I'm just going to move into Kaminga because I can't help myself. Yeah. Um, but the, the guy is every bit as athletic as advertised. I think he, he hasn't figured out his touch yet as a scorer, right. um, but you can see the skills there. He can create his own shot. He can shoot from anywhere and has the confidence to do it anywhere uh, on the floor. His shot is really smooth. Uh, like I said, he just hasn't figured it out yet. So I, personally, if, if I'm drafting Kaminga, I want him to go shoot eight threes next year. I want him getting to the free throw line six to eight times a game. I don't care what your percentages are. I don't care what your numbers are. I want you getting comfortable in an NBA offense because I just see so much upside there um, as, as an offensive guy. Uh, and, and that being said, he's just another six, eight athletic wing. You can never have too much of those guys. Um, defensively, he's he's a perfect guy to, to guard anybody in the NBA one through four. Similar to Scotty Barnes, uh, they're they're both kind of very similar in that way. Um, so if you're looking for a guy who's slightly more NBA ready, I think that's Scotty Barnes because he can handle the ball and create a little bit. Um, but but I don't think Kaminga's a bad pick either. So Lauren, I talked a little bit about about both there. Do you have anything else to add on Barnes, and, and what do you think on Kaminga? Uh, I I don't have anything else to add on Barnes. Or, or actually, let me let me add this. Um, with with Scott, well, it's not. It's more about Kaminga. So let me just actually go straight to Kaminga. Uh, the reason that I think Scotty will go f- before him is because uh, I think Kaminga is a little redundant in Orlando. Personally, I think uh, if you one, I don't know how 
Orlando turns down another FSU project uh, product <laughs> in Scotty Barnes, who just seems to be so versatile the same way Jonathan, I- not the same way Jonathan Isaac was, but kind of just this unique prospect to me, there's like no way they do that, but it, you, we've seen crazier things. So with Jonathan Kaminga, I really like him to go to OKC, which is where per Tankathon he's currently projected to go at six. Uh, but I just, I think he's really raw kind of what, like you touched on, he doesn't have necessarily the best um, shooting touch, but like, also, like you said, I would want him taking a bunch of shots and just getting more confident, uh, kind of getting adjusting to the flow of the NBA. Uh, I would really love to see him just work within just and continue to develop his offensive game because the athleticism, the defense, it's all there. And, and one thing that I do want to add from, from when you and I had uh, one of our, of our multiple scouting sessions, I wrote down that he always looks to shoot. Maybe that he, maybe he doesn't shoot the best or his numbers aren't that great, but he's always looking, he's always confident. Uh, and you and I, I think we like his, his stroke. It's not terrible. It's just that his touch doesn't seem quite right. So maybe with some reps, maybe with uh, some development and some time that will start to fall for him. But the athleticism, like you said, is absolutely crazy. He's, he's crazy to watch. Um, and so for, I, for those reasons, I love him in OKC personally. I think he's a little too raw to be taken by golden state at seven. I don't see any scenario in which that happens. Um, but he is a really, really fun prospect, which is why I, I do want to see him get taken by OKC. Um, but, but we'll see what happens. I think he's, he's really intriguing to watch. Uh, I wrote down and as, as far as like my notes is that he just, he needs to improve consistency as a shooter. He's a, he's an inconsistent free throw shooter. Um, and he doesn't have the best, uh, decision-making skills from, from just some of the film that I watched. So just see him kind of adjust to the pace of the NBA, tighten the screws a little bit and just continue to develop at the highest level really. Um, and, and just see how his game develops. I think he's going to be a really, really great player, uh, for, for OKC to kind of add to this young core that they're building. Absolutely. Moving on to the next guy, I I said, I mentioned Barnes or Kaminga, I could see them falling to seven. And I only think it's because the next guy we're going to talk about could just absolutely surprise us. And, you know, we look every year, there seems to be one pick that, that you look at a team and go, Oh, I didn't, I didn't see him going that high. Um, I actually love where he's slotted at Tankathon right now at seven to Golden State. But like I said, if somebody jumped up, traded up, uh, or just picked this guy out of the blue, I would not be surprised. He's my absolute favorite, favorite, favorite prospect in the entire draft, and that's James Booknight. Uh, this guy is just incre- uh, incredibly athletic. Um, you know when you're watching a game and something happens, and maybe it's because you're not paying attention or because you just didn't expect it, whatever the reason may be, you'll be like watching alone and something just like makes you say out loud, holy crap, or you'll jump out of your seat because something was so exciting. Watching tape on James Booknight, I did that more with this guy than I did any other prospect. He's just absolutely fearless. The guy makes all kinds of plays. Um, I think he's, he's comfortable scoring from anywhere on the floor. I think his offensive game is the most polished currently outside of probably Cade Cunningham. Um, He didn't shoot an incredible percentage from three. Uh, but I don't think that was as much of his talents as a shooter as it was um, kind of struggling at UConn. He, he, he didn't have the best season and, and struggled a little bit with some of his teammates um, to kind of get open shots. So he did shoot 78% from the, from the free throw line, which isn't um, horrible. 
so, so I think he's going to be perfectly fine in the NBA. And, and if he goes to Golden State, I think he's a perfect come off the bench guy uh, and, and, and just light it up a perfect um, kind of six man microwave type player. So Lauren, what are your thoughts on book night? Well, first I have to add two things. And those two things are, you have been talking to me about James book night for, I swear, since we, for the, as, it's been a long time. I've been hearing this guy's name from you. So uh, I have to give the credit. scouted him in February. There you go. So I know you're a big fan here. Uh, I also really love James book night. Uh, the second thing, Oh my God, my brain is, is failing me. I don't remember what the second thing that I was going to add was, uh, but he, Oh, fearless. You said fearless. And that is incredibly accurate. When you watch his, his tape and see how he attacks the rim. I mean, the dude is only 190 pounds, but he attacks the rim, zero fear. Like he will attack it's quickly and he can jump through the roof. So uh, I loved, I loved the, uh, the fearless comment. Um, but yeah, I, I do like this pick to golden state here. Uh, I think he's, he's very fun to watch. He's incredible at shot creation. He's just, he's so unique offensively. And so I would really like to see him go to golden state here. Uh, I think golden state could definitely go a lot of ways, but I don't see book night falling, uh, I just, I would, I think teams, I could, I mean, I guess I could see him technically falling, but I think it would be a huge mistake. Uh, I think he's very unique and um, just very skilled. So uh, there are a lot of teams. I think he's got a lot of upside. He's only what, 20 years old, about to be 21. It looks like, Uh, but he's a guy that, like you said, you can plug and play, continue to develop. He's going to give you a boost off of your bench for golden state, having a a versatile shot creator like that to kind of add to your Jordan pool depth in that area, I think would be a really great move for them. So I love the pick. Um, and, And, and also I think something you and I threw around is if golden state continues to try and be in this, uh, stage where they're kind of looking at maybe trading for a, a, an all-star or whoever it is, Bradley Beal, whatever, uh, having, adding book night to your package, unless they, I mean, obviously the pick you, if you're a team, you'd probably rather have the pick, but if book night is a young asset that they then look to trade down the line, whether it's for Bradley Beal or somebody else, he's probably one of the guys with the highest upside in that range that you would want in to be involved in a package. So I think for many reasons, he's a fantastic pick for golden state here. Um, but yeah, personally, I don't see him falling past nine. I really do. I mean, maybe to 10 to Memphis, but I really can't see it. I don't see how Orlando could even pass him up if he's still on the board. If for some reason, Golden State took Davion or, you know, whoever, uh, Moses Moody, whatever, whoever it ends up being. But James Booknight is a fantastic prospect, uh, and I can't wait to see what he does at this next level. Absolutely. Moving on to the next guy, uh, Franz Wagner out of Michigan, uh, brother of... Mo. Thank you. I was like, you know, that should tell you who uh, the better Wagner is here. Um, not, <laughs> not a, not a knock on Mo, uh, who's who's been a solid player, but but Franz, I think, uh, has more upside potential. Lauren, I know you're not as high on Franz as I am. I'll give just a quick breakdown. I'll let you talk about him. I think this guy does have good offensive instincts. He's a good passer at six nine. Um, he's a guy who is very patient on offense, but he's a great shooter, um, and so I think he just kind of plugs and plays in any offense. He's one of those guys that on paper should fit anywhere. Uh, I think there are questions uh, about him defensively, but, but nothing overly concerning. Uh, so I, I just think offensively he's, he's too good of a fit across the board, not to 
be taken in the top 10. Like I said, I, I don't see this guy falling past 10 either. Lauren, what do you, what are your thoughts? What do you have on France? Yeah, it's, it, it's tough because he's a unique prospect. Personally, I think where he's, he's currently slotted based off just, just my, my, my opinion. Uh, I, I do think it's a little bit high. Um, I, I, I could personally, I think maybe more 10, 12, 13 range, but I don't think he'll drop that far. I think it's, it's pretty set that this is the, he's going to go this, this, uh, eight, nine, 10 range, or maybe even a, not 11. I don't really think, uh, Charlotte would take him, but, um, I think that it's, it's expected that he's going to get, get somewhere in here. So personally, I do think it's a little bit high, but again, I still, I still think that that's what's most likely. So I want to transition to kind of what I think about him. I think it's, it's interesting that he's a six, eight small forward that handles the ball and, and is a solid pick and roll hand ball handler. I, 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 that was one of the first things I noticed how he's got the vision uh, and the confidence to kind of handle the ball, put the ball on the deck and make the right play. That was, he did, he does have good instincts. Uh, so I'll give him that. Um, he shot 34% from three on three and a half attempts per game. So like, I, that doesn't, that doesn't blow me away. Um, and I mean, he averaged 12 and a half points, three assists and six and a half rebounds uh, as a starter for Michigan. So for me, this is, again, this is a draft where I have high expectations. Like if I'm Orlando or Sacramento or whoever kind of towards the top, with the exception of Toronto and Golden State at the top of this draft, I'm like, I'm shooting for the stars here. So personally, I don't think Franz necessarily gives you that. I just, I, I think that there are some questions. And so there's, let me say this there's a chance that he could, you know, come in and just wow everybody immediately. But for me, certain prospects that have questions, that's kind of where I'm like, I I can't take you top 10 for sure. If I have questions and with Franz, I still have questions. And so uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I I do think that he could go to Orlando. I, I also think he could go to Sacramento just because He's something different than what they have. Any of these teams need to add, they need to be adding something that they don't have. So uh, that they don't currently have that brings something different to the table. So uh, Memphis, I mean, I think Memphis has their eyes on, on a couple of other prospects that we'll get to in a second here. Uh, So for me, I think it will end up being either eight to Orlando uh, pending any trades or nine to Sacramento for Wagner. Yeah, I'm with you. I just, I don't see him sliding too much. Next, though, I think Lauren is is one of the most interesting guys we have to talk about. Um, Absolutely. I, I personally don't have this guy in my top fourteen. I don't I don't see him as a lottery pick. Now you can talk me into some of the upside because he's only nineteen years old. Uh, he did just win MVP of the Turkish League. The only eighteen year old to ever do that. Uh, Alprin Sengun. He's measured at six nine right now. I assume he's going to continue to grow. Like I said, he's only 18, 19 years old. Um, But right now the questions around him are what position is he going to play? He did put up some great numbers uh, in in a very tough league. I think the Turkish, the Turkish league that he played in is one of the more respected European leagues. Um, So I think that bodes well for him, but being six, nine, I worry as a center, which if you watch the tape on this guy, he, he played almost exclusively in the low post. Um, I don't know how well his game is going to translate to the NBA, at least right away. Uh, Lauren, I'll let you talk more about him. I did, I did know he has a long wingspan. He does have a solid post game. Uh, he's very crafty and he has good vision for a guy his size. Uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, but I just don't think he moves like an NBA player yet. And and maybe that's the league and the way things are uh, over in Turkey, still playing with a traditional back to your basket center. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I see him struggling early on, but there definitely is tremendous upside. So I, I could see the the upside of picking a guy like Singoon right. at, at, at I've, I've seen some mocks have him in the six to eight range. Uh, Tankathon has him at nine. Personally, I don't, I don't have him this high. I'd, I'd be looking in the 13 to 16 range, maybe even 17 or 18. I think this guy has the, the craziest. I, I'm, I'm bringing up too many points. Lauren, I want, I want to get your thoughts on him before we start talking about range, but I think he could just be all over the place, but what do you have Lauren? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's another guy that like he could get picked and I mean, I'm going to turn my draft notifications off for the, or all notifications off because I don't want to, I don't want to get spoiled before the pick is taken, but he's the type of guy that I think could get picked and you're like, Oh crap. Okay. Okay. That's who they took. You know? Uh, uh, okay. Like you said, there are some clear indicators uh, that are unique to a big man. And, and when he, and I, I recognize that on Tankathon it says he's 6'10", and on multiple websites it says he's 6'10", but on NBA.com and the majority of the websites, it says that he is 6'9". So that is why I think we both go by 6'9". Yep. Um, but with with Sengun, what I like about his game is his playmaking. He's a, he's a great passer. I think he's the best passing big man uh, in, well, yeah, I don't really consider Wagner like a big man. So uh, he, he's got really good passing skills for a big man, made a lot of plays out of the post. So that's definitely encouraging if you do take someone who's making those kinds of plays at 19 years old. Uh, but the biggest question is what, like, what, like you said, what position is he going to play? Uh, he has a good touch around the rim. He didn't shoot the ball that well from three. Um, and he just, he doesn't move like he just, he's not very quick. And so he, you and I watched his film. I watched some like highlight reels. And I told, I mentioned to you that the player that I saw in the highlight reels versus the player that we saw in the film that showed the good and the bad, completely different. Like it is a completely different story. And it's not just like, oh yeah, I remember that play from the highlight reel. Like it's, it's very, very different. And so again, I go back to the same concept of if I'm taking a guy top 10, I need to know exactly what I'm getting and there needs to be no questions. And for me, there are still questions here. So personally, I'm with you. I think uh, the 13, maybe, well, I don't see, I don't see Indiana taking him and I don't see Golden State taking him, Uh, but I could see Charlotte taking him, maybe even San Antonio. So I'd say if he goes, if it's not 11 or 12, I think you're looking at 15 to 18. Uh, but that's just me personally. There are still questions there and that's kind of where it comes down to for me. He could, Again, he's similar to Wagner, in my opinion. Um, he's the type of guy that could come in and immediately have an impact and maybe wow us all. But to me, it's I don't feel confident that that's a guaranteed or that he's going to, that his ceiling is necessarily so high that he's going to come in and just be like a gem. Like I don't, I, with Book Knight, I'm like, whoever gets him, great pick. With Davion Mitchell, I'm like, great pick. With Sangoon, I don't have that same confidence. And so that's why I would urge team, or I would think that teams that have maybe a top 10 pick or even Charlotte at 11, uh, I would say, I, I, I don't know that they, that they make that pick. Absolutely. I do think this is a guy that we could see a team trade up for and come get. Yeah, uh, just because there there absolutely is upside there. Like I I can sure. absolutely see that with this guy being 18, 19 years old, 
there's a couple teams with two picks in this first round. The Knicks have two. The Rockets have two picks. The Thunder have two more picks. Like I could, I could absolutely see somebody packaging a couple of these picks, or or even a player, a future asset. Like, absolutely, would not be surprised to see somebody come up and trade for this guy, um, because there are just so many question marks around this draft. Uh, Lauren, before we talk about ten, and I want to be quick because we do kind of try to wrap through these final five or four lottery picks, because no doubt people are getting their draft coverage from all over. But we had a trade in the NBA yesterday or this morning uh, involving this 10th pick. So let's talk about the trade real quick before we talk about who Tankathon has slotted to go 10th. Uh, this morning, Memphis and New Orleans traded uh, or finalized a trade. Um, New Orleans received Jonas Valanciunas, the 17th overall pick, and then pick number 51 in the second round. Uh, New Orleans received Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe, uh, Pick number 40 in a second round draft, a top 10 protected 2022 first round pick, which will be the Lakers pick. That's projected to be a late second or late first round pick next year. But they also received pick number 10. So, Lauren, what are your thoughts on this trade? Do you think it was a good trade for either side? What there's, there's definitely a lot of pieces to this. Uh, there have even been mm-hmm. reports that Eric Bledsoe is probably not going to stay in Memphis. So, so what do you, what do you, what are your thoughts overall? Yeah. So I, first I expect Eric Bledsoe to be on the move. Um, but I actually love the trade. I know when you look at it at first glance, you're like, what, like, what am I reading? It's just kind of mind blowing thinking that Memphis traded a starter, uh, and they took back both of the contracts from new Orleans. Um, and then they got this 10th pick as well. It just, it seems like there's just a lot of information in it, but I actually love it for both teams because for, I mean, Jonas Valanciunas had, an amazing impact on that Memphis Grizzlies team. And so he does bring a lot of uh, veteran leadership and experience to the Pelicans. So I'll be interested to see what that looks like for them. Uh, New Orleans, or I'll stick with Memphis for a second. Memphis trading up to the 10th pick tells me that they see someone that they like. And so while it may seem like, I can't believe they took on both picks and lost a starter Memphis, what are you doing? Why would you do that to me? It's because they see someone that they really like and they know that this is something that they absolutely have to do. So they went out and did it and took on the two bad contracts, which in all reality for Memphis, it's not going to matter. Memphis is so young. They don't need to be creating money right now. It's too early in their timeline. So it's not like these are four-year contracts. I believe Bledsoe, I don't want to get it wrong, but I feel like Bledsoe, Bledsoe has two years and I think Steven Adams only has one more year, if I remember correctly. Two more years? Or one more year. Uh, Bledsoe has I two. I don't know Either, about Adams. Okay. I think I think Adams only has one, but it might be two. Either way, these are shorter term contracts. And so in the long run, I don't think they're going to really affect Memphis. What is going to affect Memphis is who they take at 10. I hear they like Josh Giddy. I hear they like Moses Moody. There are lots of options here for that Memphis roster because they're so young and they're so versatile. So for me, I think both teams, like this was good for both teams because now New Orleans is in a position if they want to try and make a play for Kyle Lowry and have a a Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry like effect, uh, they can try to go for that. Don't know that it's going to happen, but they've cleared a lot of money to make a run at Kyle Lowry or even someone like Spencer Dinwiddie who's looking for a lot of money in free agency. So I know a lot of people are sitting here saying, man, maybe this team won the trade. Maybe Memphis won the trade because, or maybe New Orleans won the trade because they got off both bad contracts or maybe Memphis won the trade because they moved up to 10 and still got a replacement and Steve, like, I don't know. I've heard both sides obvious or both sides saying the other team won by far, 
but I really do think it's the type of trade that both teams accomplished what they needed to accomplish given their timeline. Uh, New Orleans, for example, being a little bit more accelerated with Zion and then trying to create money to pay now and win now. And then you got Memphis over here getting yet another prospect. And the 10th pick in this draft is a fantastic pick. I would be absolutely thrilled if I'm Memphis. Obviously sad to see Valanchunas go, but I think Steven Adams is uh, a good replacement. Yeah, definitely. I like for, for the Pelicans, they, they get a guy, a big like Valanchunas, who can help stretch the floor a little bit. It gives them a little financial flexibility to um, maybe go after a guy like Lowry, like you mentioned. The problem is it may it's going to create this um, kind of tough situation where uh, what they what they're going to do with Lonzo. Uh, if if Lowry decides and comes out and says, "Oh, I'm I'm picking right away," he says, "I'm going to go sign with the Lakers" or something like that right out of the gate. You go, okay, well either you can turn your sights to Mike Conley real quick, or you can say, okay, Lonzo, we're going to match and just retain him. Um, the problem is if Lonzo goes and signs an offer sheet real quick, um, you've got to figure out very quickly your that, that timer starts going. Now, granted, he can't sign the offer sheet till the moratorium closes. Um, but at that point, I believe he, they've got three days to figure out, okay, are we signing somebody else or are we keeping Lonzo? So that will be an interesting um, decision, but they've got a little flexibility there. So I like that. I don't know that this trade signifies that they that Memphis sees somebody at 10 that they love, because I think there's just so many things in this draft that we don't know. I think there could be a couple more trades that might throw this off uh, and anybody can come in and, and kind of mess with the, what they've got. So to me, maybe it says they love a couple of guys in this draft. I think what it also says, they picked up a 2022 pick that um, could, could potentially be, a decent pick and and I'm not going to sit here and say like the Lakers are going to suck next year and it's going to be a, a top lottery pick what I'm saying is there were a lot of European guys who dropped out of this draft class late this year who are expected to come back next year and really add to the depth of that class so that could end up being a decent pick for them next year all that to say currently Tankathon has Memphis selecting Josh Giddy out of Australia Lauren I'll, I'll just give a quick rundown about Josh and I'll throw it over to you I'll keep it quick though this guy does have elite vision for someone his age. He's only 18 years old. Um, he is everywhere on the floor. He's a great rebounder. He is 6'7 uh, at his age, which is incredibly impressive. I think being 6'7 and, and 205, 200 pounds, uh, he's somebody who could take advantage of smaller guys in the post. And with his vision, I think he could be very deadly. The problem is I do not think he's a great shooter. Uh, I He has confidence and, and shoots. Um, I don't want to say smoothly because he's got a bit of a hitch in his shot. Um, but he almost reminds me of like a Ricky Rubio with size. And, and I didn't want to quite go Ben Simmons route, another Australian uh, point guard, because I do think his confidence and his willingness to shoot is very different from Ben Simmons. The problem is the success rate is about the same. I think if Ben Simmons were to shoot, we would see similar percentages to what I think Josh Giddy will be shooting this year, which is not great. Um, but but that's not where he's going to be effective. He's going to be creating shots for others. He's going to be very crafty. Like I said, he's got great vision. So, Lauren, what do you think about Josh Giddy? Uh, yeah, I really like Josh as a prospect. He's unique. These big guards, obviously, we're as Mavs fans, fans of big point guards. Uh, so there are lots of there are lots of ways I could see this going for Josh. I've heard that Memphis really likes him, uh, and he would definitely bring something unique there. Um, real quick on Memphis, I think there's a chance they might try and keep moving up and try to go 
get book night, but that's another story uh, with Josh. I think he's really unique. I think the farthest he falls is to San Antonio at 12. I can't see him going past there. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think San Antonio is not a bad fit for him at all. I don't see um, Golden State or – sorry, I was I was thinking of Golden State while I was looking at Indiana. I wanted to say the Indiana Warriors, and that was just like <laughs> – my my brain was melting there for a second. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't see Rick Carlisle picking a young guard like this, uh, or or the Win Now Warriors taking um, a guy like Giddy who's going to need some time to develop. So yeah, I think San Antonio is a great a great fit. Uh, I could even see Charlotte taking him, uh, and I could very easily see him in Memphis as well. So there's there's just a lot of places. I I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being a guy who Orlando took at eight. Like that wouldn't yeah. absolutely shock me. Um, they do have some other guards, but but this is another guy that I could see him going a little higher or a little lower. I just I don't know where to peg him. Um, Ten feels right, like he'll be in this range. Um, but I think the upside is uh, another guy here, a young elite elite visioned guard, and you just can't have enough of that. That's something you can't teach guys is how well they see the floor. And when he's seeing it at 18 years old, um, no doubt this guy's going to be successful. Great. Alrighty, moving on. The Charlotte Hornets are at 11. Tankathon currently has them slotted to take Moses Moody, the 6'6 guard wing out of Arkansas. Lauren, what do you like about Moses Moody? Man, I like a lot of things about Moses Moody. Personally, I I think Charlotte should and might go a different direction. Uh, but I, I really like Moses. He's a solid shooter. You have a really great comp for him, which I'm going to let you take credit for in, here in just a second. Uh, but he's always looking to shoot. He's got a lot of confidence. His form might not be as pure as someone like, like Corey Kispert's, but it's, he's always looking to shoot. He's a good scorer. Uh, he's a little streaky, but again, looking to shoot. And when you're a team that's looking to add more scoring guys like that, especially if you're higher up in the draft, they're going to continue to get a lot of reps and maybe get uh, more consistency and kind of find more uh, of a rhythm. And so I love his ability to score Uh, again. Charlotte is a team that, I mean, any team can always use more of that. Uh, But yeah, I think Memphis, I could see him going up maybe to, I think personally, I think the highest he goes is 10 to Memphis, Uh, but I could see any of these teams. I mean, truly, 11 12 13 14 and even 15 that 15 is the lowest i see him going um i think that moses moody would be great fits on all those teams yeah i think moses moody is a very interesting prospect Uh, he's got an nba body like you said confident shooter a little streaky i think he's just a strong aggressive driver uh, and it benefits that he's a good free throw shooter my comp is tim hardaway jr Uh, i just think his streakiness and and willingness to shoot and and efficiency kind of falls in line with Tim Hardaway. You know, they, they talk about 10 years out from every NBA draft, there are 10 players who are still in the league. And I think Lauren, you and I looked at that and it's, it's usually a little higher than 10, but just kind of sticking with that 10 and 10 theme. I see Moses Moody as, as being one of those guys only for one reason. I don't think he has like crazy upside, but I think he's a guy that just like book night in golden state, I think he's a guy who can come off the bench and always give you a scoring punch. Uh, like Franz Wagner, he's a guy on paper that can fit almost anywhere because he he does one thing very well, uh, and, and that's score. And it's, like I said, he's streaky, but he's confident, and, and I don't think there's going to be a lot that holds him back. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's somebody that sticks around in the league just because of the things he can do offensively. So 
I like him a lot. I don't think there's tremendous upside, but I think he has a very high floor uh, as, as an NBA player. Agreed. All right. Next, we have got Keon Johnson, the 6'4", 6'5", guard out of Tennessee. Um, I've got this guy as a solid athlete. I don't, I don't personally have him as a lottery pick. I think he could slide just a little bit um, because he's not the greatest shooter in the world. I think that's what's going to hold him back uh, when you look at him against some of these other prospects. Uh, however, he is very quick off the dribble, um, uh, just in- incredibly athletic. I do just think his offensive game exists 17 feet and in. He, he's a pure slasher. Uh, he can post up some smaller defenders. Uh, but I think his biggest value right now is as a defender. Uh, he's got great hands and quick feet, but a lot of way, a lot of room to improve right now with the shot. Lauren, what are your thoughts on Keon? Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you there. I love my favorite thing about Keon is how high he gets off the ground when he shoots the ball. It's it's really kind of crazy to watch him just continue to elevate. Uh, personally, I think twelve is is a little high. Uh, I think uh, maybe. If, if some of these other guys that we've mentioned already fall, uh, that could be something where the San Antonio goes a different direction. I like Keon's game, but when, you, when you're a little limited from the outside, I think that that hurts. Uh, so personally, I, 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 I agree with you. I think maybe a little bit, a little bit further, uh, maybe in that oof, 13 to, to 16 range, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, so I, I do like his game. I think he's, he's raw and, and will continue to develop well. Uh, but yeah, I, I personally, I think 12 is a little bit high. Um, but again, he's also a guy that, like you said, is a slasher, very quick feet. So that will bode well for him at this, this next level. Um, and so he's dead that, I mean, that allows him to be a fit on, on, in multiple different systems. So we'll just have to see where, where he ends up. Absolutely. As we move with two lottery picks left to talk about, number 13, Tankathon has, excuse me, Davion Mitchell. Uh, Lauren, I know this is a guy you and I are very high on. I think mm-hmm. outside of um, Book Night, this is probably my favorite, my second favorite guy as well. Mm-hmm. I think you and I scouted this guy together, and you had already given me a heads up that this guy's a lot of fun. So, Lauren, I'll let you talk about Davion Mitchell. Yeah, I, ju- I just love watching him play because, I mean, he's he's an older guy in the draft. He's he's about to be 23 years old, so so that there's definitely that. Uh, but he's so fun to watch. He's so quick. He's so confident. He plays both sides of the ball. He plays hard-nosed basketball. I mean, he's so fun to watch. Can score at all three levels. Uh, he's a little bit undersized, uh, so that – I mean, that could be a little, it could be a little bit more difficult for him to just attack the rim with ease uh, the way he did at Baylor, but he's so quick. So he might be able to just slide right around people um, if he, you know, draw is able to, to get a switch or draw a defender out. But I love the poise that he plays with uh, the leadership that he has. I think he's a, he's a great fit uh, in a lot of different places. It would be kind of interesting to see if he does end up in Golden State, if they try to take him uh, because he's a little bit more NBA ready than some of these other guys who are 18, 19 years old. But I saw that the Pacers were shopping uh, Aaron Holiday today, which is kind of interesting considering Justin Holiday is also on that roster. Um, but I saw that they were shopping him today and I think Davion Mitchell could be a great pick at 13 for Indiana. I mean, he's a guy, they are ready to compete. Rick Carlisle doesn't necessarily love super young, super raw prospects. We know that very well. So I actually think Davion Mitchell at 13 would be a great pick. And if he somehow isn't picked by Indiana at 13, I don't see him sliding past 14 to Golden State. So I really love him. I completely second what you said outside of book night. He might be 
uh, one of my favorite, if, if not my favorite prospect right after that, he's just super, super fun to watch. And I think any team that gets him needs to be, or will, will be, and should be very excited. Yeah. What I think is really interesting is say, if, if this goes a certain way, if the Warriors at 14 are looking at Davion Mitchell or Corey Kispert, like the crazy tough decision they would have to make picking between two guys who I think are NBA ready right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I'm with you, though. I, I love that pick at, in, at 13 to Indiana. Uh, a very NBA ready now, more of a win now type guy. Doesn't need as much time to develop being um, 21 years old. Uh, excuse me, 22, almost 23 years old. Um, but yeah, like you said, this guy just can score from anywhere on the floor. He's ridiculously hardworking on both ends of the floor. I think he has a lot of off-ball capabilities as well. I wrote down, he'll put you in a blender. This is a guy that will just dribble circles around you as well. And um, despite being six, one does not play like he's six, one, he plays mm-hmm. a lot bigger than his size. So I think that's, that's huge for him. Uh, Lauren, we want to move to our last guy here. Number 14, before we talk about a couple more, um, just, just a little off, a couple offhand prospects, but number 14, Jalen Johnson to, to Tankathon, uh, six, eight wing out of Duke. Lauren, what do you like? And, and what do you, what are your thoughts on Jalen Johnson? Yeah, I mean, he he's versatile, you know. He he underperformed a little bit at Duke. There were he was looked at as top 10 pick towards towards the top of this draft and obviously his stock has has fallen a little bit. But he's still very versatile. He's 90 he's only 19 years old. He's got a 7-foot wingspan, 6'9", 210. He's got the perfect physical frame for the direction that the NBA is going in terms of having a small ball slash modern big man so he's got a decent big man or excuse me he's got decent vision he shows a willingness and confidence to bring the ball up the floor handle the ball um he does show that he can stretch the floor he's not afraid to shoot that three ball so i i don't think he's going to be a bad pick by any means just because his stock has fallen i know some people kind of have a sour taste in their mouth or are proceeding with caution, if you will, kind of looking at him as a prospect and knowing that. Um, I wrote down that I think he needs to improve his shot mechanics. I think it could get a little bit more clean uh, and smooth. He is not the best free throw shooter, but again, he's still very versatile. I think he's good at a lot of things, but there's nothing there's nothing as of today that he's like the, the best in the draft at you know, this. So uh, I think he's a guy that can continue to develop and, and will round out very well because this is a very deep draft so just because you're a lottery pick doesn't mean that you're a bad selection or a bad player uh so i think jalen jalen johnson is a guy that is going to plug and play and and a lot of could plug and play in a lot of different systems so i like him i mean i like him for indiana i like him for golden state if just because he is so versatile i also like him for washington i think that actually might be my favorite fit is is with washington but again they got Rui there they're so who who knows what will happen, but Jalen Johnson, I wouldn't count him out. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think the fact that he's he's good, not great at a lot of things, and the fact that he only played 13 games at Duke because he battled an injury is what's holding him back in this draft class. I don't think we got to see enough of, of some of the things he could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a very good rebounder. I think that's probably his biggest strength. His next biggest strength is the fact that he's another 6'8", versatile wing. Uh, this guy can guard probably two through four and, and occasionally some ones. So like, I, I think that bodes well for him. Uh, I don't think he, he has to worry about sliding too far, but I just think there are questions around what he is going to be five, six years from now. Uh, he is a good athlete. Uh, another guy who's a paint in score. He did shoot 44% from three. They only shot 1.4 threes a game. 
Like this guy's not lighting it up. Uh, and like you said, he's got some some shot mechanics mechanics to work on. And, and so actually I say he shot 1.4. Okay, he did. Last time I took notes on this guy, he had only he was only shooting 1.4 threes a game. So yeah, he's I just don't know what to make of him as a as a shooter. Like you said, he's not a great free throw shooter, only shot three a game, but only 63%. So no real gauge on what he could be, but he's another versatile wing. I kind of this is probably the mass fan in me speaking. I kind of see a, a Dorian Finney-Smith here, a, a good rebounder for his size. Um, and all, all he has to do is develop that shot, and he can be a great three and D player in this league. So, um, I'm with you. I don't, I don't see him jumping up too high on the board because there are some questions. Um, at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if there are some guys looking for or some teams looking for a, a big in the maybe 11 to 12 range. I could also see him falling to. 15 or 16, even 17, because one of the guys we haven't talked about yet, uh, Corey Kispert, in my opinion, is is easily the best shooter in the draft. And I think mm-hmm. it's so hard to let 14 other players go ahead of somebody like that. He is 22 years old. Um, so in terms of like looking towards upside, you worry he has three to four years less to develop than some of these other guys at the NBA level. Um, but something that comes in in bunches and is so valuable in the NBA is the ability to shoot. And he absolutely has the purest stroke of anybody I see in the league. Um, So I I like him at Golden State at 14, but I wouldn't be shocked if this is a guy that's taken in the 11 to 12 range. And and I'd be interested to see what you think, Lauren. I know you're high on Corey, but um, definitely one of the older, more NBA ready guys. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I absolutely love Corey Kispert because not only is he the best shooter in the draft, but he's good off the ball. He's good on. He's good. He's not afraid to put the ball in the deck and attack the rim. He's quicker than you might think he is. Um, but his shot is so pure. It is so pure. Like there's no. It doesn't look like there are any flaws in his his stroke. And so um, I love his offensive capabilities and where you can plug and play him in a lot of different systems. I think uh, God, like you said, that 11, 12 range. I kind of want to go past or like 11, I think starting at 11, because again, the guys we talked about at 10 for Memphis, I don't really know that they, that they take Kispert there, but I think golden state has their eye on him. Rightfully. So uh, Charlotte always adding shooters around someone like LaMelo is never a bad idea. San Antonio. I could see that happening. Uh, just kind of a different guy that you've got. I think Rick Carlisle, again, you've got Indiana and then you've got golden state looking for guys that are probably plug and play a little bit more NBA ready. And so I could absolutely see, excuse me, see Corey Kispert going a little bit higher than 15. Uh, I'm very, very high on him. So I, it will be interesting to see where he ends up, but yeah, this draft, it really is so deep. And so if there's a team that's like, I'm looking for something specific, or I really just love this guy, you know, maybe that's where we see some guy, uh, a guy go to a specific team, but Corey Kispert, I think he has the capabilities to go uh, a lot higher than 15. Absolutely. Lauren, there's one other guy I want to talk about in this draft, and then I'll, I'll open it up to, for you to bring anybody else up, too, that we haven't talked about. Um, but Kai Jones is a guy I'm, I'm a big fan of, 6'11", 218 out of Texas. Uh, he just finished up his sophomore year. He is 20 years old. Um, kind of reminds me of J- Jonathan Isaac because he is just so long. Uh, I think he's got some great footwork, but I worry about his his handles for a big. I don't see him being a guy who, who handles the ball a ton. Um, but I, I do think on defense, he's just got great feet and, and has incredible timing when it comes to blocking shots. Uh, and I think this is a guy who who can shoot the three and stretch the floor a little bit. He, he shot 38%, only shooting 
one 1.3 threes a game. So, so he doesn't shoot it a ton, but he shoots it. Um, okay. So I, I don't know what he translates to be. I, I've got to think he, he plays mostly four and, and plays more on the inside than the outside, but I think he can develop into a shooter. Um, and he showed a lot of offensive upside. He just was very raw. He only played 22 minutes. He played behind Jericho Sims a good bit, who was a senior out of Texas. So we shared the floor with him and Greg Brown a little bit. Um, so, so I don't think we got to see a ton of either Greg Brown or Kai Jones um, to really know. But I, I think there were a lot of great flashes and, and things I liked about him. So, Lauren, do you have any thoughts on Kai Jones and anybody else you want to bring up? Yeah, I love Kai Jones. I could see Kai Jones going as high as 11 uh, to Charlotte and Max Wellington. If you're, if you're listening to this, I apologize because I know you do not want that to happen, but um, (laughs) I think he would, if, if, if Charlotte has their eye on Miles Turner, and I'm not just saying that because of the Texas connection, but you've got a shot blocking rim rolling big who can stretch the floor. I think Kai Jones is a, is a much better selection for Charlotte specifically, uh, than same goon that's just me personally but i love kai jones he's like you said he's very raw but i think his ceiling is really high he's got to tighten the screws uh but again continuing to develop in a more controlled environment and at this highest level where you're going to continue to have continuity and you're not going to be sharing the floor like you said with greg brown and jericho sims uh two bigs who i think are going to be in the league greg brown i think he's going to be a second round pick and jericho sims uh, whether he gets drafted or not, I think will end up in the NBA. Uh, so that's tough. Like that's one college team, three big <laughs> men, not just three players, three big men right. all making it to the end. Like that's crazy. So um, I wouldn't be discouraged by Kai's numbers. If, if that's what you're basing your judgment off of. Uh, I love that you brought him up because I, I do just think he's a really, really unique player. And and I could see him going, I mean, he talk about range. I could see him going, not, I don't want to say anywhere in this first round, but like I said, as I could see him going as high as 11. Um, but yeah, somebody else that I wanted to bring up, this might be kind of a wild card. Uh, so I apologize for this, but Cam Thomas out of LSU. I have been a big Cam Thomas fan for a very long time. I always, every time I bring him up, I have to mention that I've been watching him since he played at Oak Cliff with Cole Anthony and Coffee Cockburn. He is a scoring guard who, and, and on that team, he was the guy that was talked about the least because it was all about Cole Anthony and it was all about Coffee Cockburn. But Cam Thomas was a player for that team putting up buckets. So he's right now slotted to go 26th to Denver, but you look at a lot of these teams in the 20 plus with the exception of Houston, uh, all these teams are... Well, okay, I'll throw the Knicks in there, but whatever. Everybody in there is like looking to to be in the playoffs. And Cam Thomas would be a great addition to any of those teams. He's a scoring guard, six four shooting guard, um, and the dude just gets buckets. So I absolutely love Cam Thomas. Had to give him a shout out, uh, and he's a guy that I think could potentially go a lot higher than twenty six. So we'll just have to see where he shakes out. Yeah, Cam Thomas, another guy who's just going to come and he's a sharp shooting scorer. Uh, another skill that you just can't get enough of. Uh, he shot 88% from the free throw line on almost eight attempts. And he shot seven threes a game and shot 33%. So, like, I think this guy's just going to flourish. Uh, he's going to probably be um, a late first-round pick, maybe mid-first-round pick. Uh, and, and I think we'll benefit from being on probably a stronger, more win-now focused team. So, I think that's great. Um, Lauren, I don't have anything else to add, but I think a, a similar player to Cameron Thomas is Quentin Grimes. So if you've stuck around with us this long, uh, you absolutely should, should stick around, or maybe you're fast forwarding right now, trying to find the interview with Ben Perkins so you can hear about Quentin Grimes, another 
very sharp shooting score first guy who's got some ball handling abilities and um, who we like a lot. So so stick around, listen to our interview with Ben Perkins. Uh, another great, another great sit down, Lauren. You've uh, reached out and found uh, a, a great guy and someone who we had a lot of fun talking to. So with that, we're going to take a break. When we come back, our interview with Ben Perkins. We are back with another exciting guest. Lauren and I uh, are very excited to bring this interview with you. We've got Ben Perkins, an NBA trainer at Perk Performance and a national scout and director for John Lucas Enterprises. Ben, how's it going? Thank you for joining us. Great, great. It's good to be here. Great to meet you guys. Uh, excited about this. Well, awesome. Uh, so we put, put together a couple questions. We just want to get to know a little bit about you, what it is you do, some of the players you work with, and what it's like not only um, preparing throughout a season, but getting ready for the draft. Uh, but we'll start talking about you. So kind of how did you get involved in this? Uh, what what kind of helped transition you or brought you from, from being a professional player uh, into the world of training? It's an interesting process. I mean, coming from playing, you know, played 10 years uh, in Europe and, and professionally, when the career ended, when it was time to stop, the approach was, is okay, what's my next step? What's my next process? And I always wanted it to be something with basketball. I wanted it to be something where I was able to do a lot more mentoring and teaching teaching kids and teaching players um, the right things and the wrong things to do, you know? Um, one of the biggest things that I have is, is I made a lot of mistakes in my career and in my youth. And I wanted to try to do the best that I could to help mentor and guide kids and players to try to help prevent them from making some of the same mistakes that I made and kind of have a better path, you know, for me than, 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 than I did. So. Absolutely. No, that, that's awesome. Um, how did kind of perk performance come to be? What, what was that? Um, how did that get established and what was, what's your role? It was, it was a, it was kind of just, a, kind of just a, a natural a, process. I, I worked with a number of different uh, AAU programs and a number of different individual players over the time um, when I had originally started. And as I started the process, you know, a number of people, another, a number of parents and coaches told me that, hey, you need to kind of start your own, own thing. And I was like, oh, you know, it's not, you know, I'm not really in it for that. It's not a big, I'm not a big self-promoter. Um, but I realized that one of the biggest tools in training is you have to be able to market yourself. So, you know, I kind of had to be able to embrace that, that process. And, um, from the feedback that I've gotten from a lot of people, you know, when I was starting out, they thought it was something that I should really take on and pursue and kind of put my name behind. So that's kind of how it, it progressed, you know, in the initial beginning. That's really cool. It's, yeah, it's always interesting to think about how these things come to be. But again, it, like you said, it's such a, you got to be able to do it yourself. Like nobody's going to do it but you. So if you can grab the bull by the horns and make it happen, I mean, props to you. So um, switching gears a little bit, you've been directing at John Lucas Enterprises for seven years now. What have you enjoyed most about being part of such a well-known developmental program? Honestly, the relationships, the networking that I've been able to, to uh, make through that process, the mentorship that I've gotten from Coach Lucas, you know, Coach Lucas is one of the the pioneers in this game. He's one of the he's one of the the most well respected, most successful players, GMs, 
NBA GMs, NBA head coaches um, that that we've had, and he's he's committed himself to trying to help to develop the youth and mentor the youth and and give them guidance. So, I mean, the biggest the biggest uh, benefit from it is is being able to to learn from him. I mean, I've learned. You know, you always come into something thinking, you know, I know this, I know the game and I know the process, but when you have an opportunity to work alongside on a daily basis with somebody that has his experience, it humbles you enough to show you how much more you have to learn and how much you have to grow. So really the networking and the opportunity to be able to, to learn and, and have a relationship with somebody on Coach Lucas's level is, I mean, it, it's, it's priceless. Yeah. So kind of a quick follow-up question with that. How did you come to know John and how did that relationship kind of continue to grow uh, with after all this time? It, it was an interesting process. Um, when, I when I first initially started playing uh, professionally, he had actually, he was coaching in Cleveland at the time. He was the head coach of Cleveland Cavaliers. And in the summer, he would run his, his uh, professional training program here in Houston. And you know, I was one of the, the guys that he felt comfortable enough to allow to start working out with him. Um, so I actually started out working out, you know, and training with him during my the initial professional career um, was was good enough to be offered an invite to to Cavaliers training camp um, from him through the process. Um, I'd actually signed a contract in Europe at the time, so I had to take the, the contract uh, but then as it progressed, uh, when, my, when my career ended, uh, I started to come with him and talk with him. And, you know, he said, he's like, you know, Coach Luke is such an open and, and helpful person. You know, he told me, he's like, hey, come to the gym. And he, I mean, that was what it was. it was. Just come to the gym. And I was like, okay, coach. And he just, he literally just threw me in. I started out as just, you know, one of the trainers, just kind of working, he, tell, he him telling me what to do. Um, and me trying to find that combination of using all of the information that he gives and instills and kind of putting my own spin on what it is I've learned and been taught to, from him. Yeah. Very cool. You, you kind of talk, I mean, the sports industry is so heavily relationship driven. Um, and you've mentioned kind of your your playing career in, in Europe and, and internationally. You've played kind of all over the place in, in Portugal and Germany. Um, do you think some of those different places you've been uh, has helped kind of cultivate the relationships? And what have you kind of taken away from um, all these experiences playing internationally? Definitely. It was all a huge benefit for me. I learned, again, the biggest thing that I've learned is, is what not to do and what what. <laughs> decisions not to make you know I I wasn't I wasn't the player that I could have been but a lot of it was self-inflicted uh, I didn't commit myself to putting in the necessary time the necessary extra work um, the necessary attention to detail uh, kind of fortunately but in unfortunately at the same time I got by on my natural talent you know and it got me a long way but at the same time I look back and I realize as I became a trainer, how much more I could have accomplished if I would have just put in the extra work, if I would have just put in the attention to detail and did the things that everybody else wasn't doing. So all of those things that 
I went through and the things that I didn't do really taught me uh, the process that I needed to have when I was instilling it in the, into the players that I work with. Kind of a follow-up question to that. So mm -hmm. assuming you were pretty young when you probably first started to, to uh, play on the other side of the world, do you feel like you had to kind of grow up pretty fast and that that kind of helped you continue to grow like as a person to then become a mentor to so many other young uh, men and, and, and women? Without a doubt. Uh, my first my first uh, job was actually in Korea, and understanding the, the dynamic, I'm a small town kid from Vinton, Louisiana, 3,000 3, people in the city, small school. My graduating class was, you know, 40 kids, um, and from there having the ability to be able to go and play in Providence in the Big East, but then from there, as I finished, Having that opportunity is something I never envisioned to be able to to travel internationally and play. And it's like you're saying that the experience that I've gotten about how to mature, how to grow up, the right way to handle things, and of course the wrong way to handle things. Um, being on your own, being in a different country, different culture, learning it, you know, it's it's priceless. I mean, I've I've learned so much about not just myself, but, you know, the world, just by the experiences that I was fortunate enough to have playing internationally. So it's, it was, for me, it was invaluable. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, I wish I would have appreciated it more in the time than I kind of did, but it's, it's, it's shaped me and I use it to try to help shape all of the players and kids and, you know, that I work with. Well, speaking of some of the players that you work with, Quentin Grimes is in this upcoming draft and his his stock is it's been on the rise. So what do you think is most unique about Quentin's game and what can the team that ultimately drafts him look forward to from him in his rookie year? The thing the thing that I think is is interesting for people to kind of really know and understand about Quentin, Quentin's whole youth, he and I started uh, working working together and training when he was in the seventh grade. He's always been a point guard. He's always been a playmaker. He's always been a facilitator. Um, he kind of just developed into his scoring ability that he's had. Um, but he's always been a natural playmaker and a facilitator. And he's he's been that all the way through his, his high school career when he, uh, you know, in the FIBA, being the MVP, uh, of the FIBA games, you know, uh, after his senior year, he was playing the point guard role. So I think the unique thing is, is just really understanding that the scoring ability that he's developed is a secondary thing. His natural instinct and his natural, you know, mindset has always been to be a playmaker. He's just become so exceptional at scoring that people have kind of put him in that hole of thinking that's, what he is, a three and D kind of a yeah. guy, which he can be, and 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 it is, but I think he really opened up a lot of uh, execs' eyes, you know, during the combine was showing them, no, look, I'm a playmaker, you know, right. I'm a I'm a defensive stopper, you know, I, I can set up my teammates, I can do all of those things along with my ability to score. So I think that's the the unique thing that it's important for everyone to know. Uh, the, the, the unique thing about Quentin is 
when it comes to knowing the kind of person and player that you're going to get, he's honestly, in my 12 years of being a trainer, he was the first kid that actively pursued me to get into the gym every day. He's one. He's the first kid and the first player that would call me on a consistent basis and say, Coach Ben, uh, can we get in the gym tonight? I need to get in the gym. I want to work on this. I want to, you know, like, for me, it was amazing. And it kind of set a bar for me. And even after him, there hasn't been any any player that I've had that has had that commitment and that drive to want to consistently get better and improve and not be comfortable with where they are, but want to continue to grow and continue to improve as a player. And the thing about it is, as he's gotten through any adversities that he's had, you know, on at any time, it's only solidified his desire to continue to get better and to continue to grow and improve and get better. And of course, you can see it as he's kind of continued to evolve, you know, every step of his career. So, no doubt, you always look at those guys. It takes that kind of mentality to make it to the NBA. And so, no doubt, that's got to be a lot of fun to work with. Um, kind of this pre-draft process, what does that look like? What are some of the things you're focused on? You talk about him being a natural facilitator and developing the scoring uh, roles. So what are some of the things you guys have been working on or, or trying to improve as, as he gets ready to, to go into the draft? Well, the biggest thing is, it's not really so much like trying to add things, but it's really developing the approach of trying to remind everyone of the player that he is and to kind of really show and demonstrate everything that he's always been as a player, um, but kind of showing it. People people have tend to forget how athletic of a player he was because his game has always been kind of in college designed around, you know, being more of a shooter, more of a scorer, but not, a, not, not being able to really play with the ball in his hands as much as he, he grew up with playing. So getting back to showing teams and showing execs that, you know, he, you know, seeing him playing off a of pick and roll, seeing his explosion and attacking the basket and attacking the rim and finishing above the rim and showing his athleticism uh, and also using all of those things and complimenting and showing them, yes, he's still an exceptional shooter, but he's not just a catch and shoot player. He's an off the dribble, creating space, separation. Um, he's really an all around elite level talent so it's just kind of setting up and structuring uh, all of our work to demonstrate all of those things every time that he gets in front of either a team uh, or again with the combine you know it's just kind of putting those things together to really showcase who he is and reminding everyone when we get all elite players and all of the great players out here this is the player that he is and this is these are all of the tools that you as a staff and as a as a as a team, will be able to have, you know, with a kid and a player like him. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's really interesting because when you do look at his numbers at first glance, for for those who don't know and who aren't familiar, I mean, his numbers. He shoots forty percent, shot forty percent on eight threes a game last year at U of H, uh, and he is a six five guard with a six eight wingspan who has really solid defensive numbers. But having that playmaking ability is going to be, I think, what sets him apart from some of these other guys who might be kind of 
I don't want to be, I don't want to say thrown into that three and D box, but it's not easy to be a playmaking guard wing. So uh, if he gets, I mean, looking at the current projections right now, uh, it looks like he might be making his way to one of these more win now situations. So how do you uh, see him fitting in there and kind of showing maybe I am a rookie, but Hey, I can handle the ball. And I'm the guy that, or I'm one of the guys that you might be, that you can trust having the ball. What do you expect with him moving forward? The thing that I know is, is a lot of the, a lot of the feedback that I've been receiving from, from different, uh, different people uh, from different, from different areas is they're, they're shocked by his, his readiness to step in right away and contribute. Um, people have been really impressed with his defense and you know, uh, his own ball defense, his versatility with being able to guard from the one to the two to even three because of his size and his strength. Uh, and of course, his athleticism that gets kind of undervalued a lot of times. So the things that you know, you're going to know for sure is he's going to come in, he's going to defend, he's going he's gonna to fit whatever role that you have set for him because he has the ability to to fit in a lot of different areas. He's going to be able to knock down the three again at a high at a high rate. Him showing that you know he can consistently knock down the NBA three catch and shoot, but also off the dribble. Um, but he's gonna he's gonna facilitate and he's gonna fit in and and excel in the role that you that you have set for him. You know, people people tend to kind of overlook the fact that he accepted and embraced you know, the role of being a two guard in college, because that was the position that was best suited for the teams that, that, that was the need that they had for him at the time, because he was so good at scoring. He accepted the role of saying, okay, coach, I'll fit into the role of being that scorer, even though his natural position is to be a playmaker, you know, and playing with the ball in his hands. So it all comes together and shows that he's going to be able to fit whatever role. If you need him to come in and be the playmaker and be the facilitator and get guys involved and get him the ball where he needs to, that's his natural comfort zone. But also if you're saying, okay, Quentin, we need you to come in. We need you to contribute and produce offensively. Look for your shot. Look to create. Look to make things happen. He can do that too. You know, if he's on a, if he's on a team and it's, and it's currently to be a three and D most of the time, he can do that, but then whenever the time comes, he's always ready to step in and show, you know, that playmaking ability and everything. So they're going to know that you're getting a player that's going to step in from day one and be ready to contribute and be ready to make plays and, and really be a valuable piece to your organization. Absolutely. Um, looking forward to kind of seeing what how that all pans out. I love the NBA draft. The finals wrapped up last night. This is always an exciting time of the year. I have no doubt he's going to be successful. He, he sounds like that perfect mold of just plugging him in, whatever you need him to do, he's going to take care of it. So that's very exciting. Um, so I do want to shift. We've talked about a lot of kind of the men's side that you work with. Uh, I think Lauren dug up a video or, or sent it to me of uh, Charlie Collier back with you training when she was in the eighth grade. She was the the first overall pick in the WNBA draft to the Dallas Wings this past year. Um, so talk about kind of what that journey has been like working with her uh, and, and some of those things. Carly and I, uh, that's a, it's, it's a very, it's a very special situation for me, honestly. Um, 
I uh, I was fortunate enough to be to begin to work with her through one of my close friends, uh, Coach George Washington. He and I I actually started with my training and development on the girls' side. He and I um, he introduced me to Charlie uh, and her and her family. Uh, he right after he introduced me to her, he accepted the assistant coaching job at University of Texas. Um, and then it began the process of me being able to work with Charlie. Um, I I agree. I developed a really close relationship with her with her dad Elliot, um, and and I mean we were we were the kind of relationship where he would call any time of the day, any time of the night, talking about the process, talking about what Charlie needed to do, talking about the state of the game. Um, you know, really really he was just a really good good person and a really good guy and you know he laid everything out um he i mean i tell people all the time you know he told me and he came to me and looked me in my eyes in, in the sixth grade and he said i want charlie and charlie's going to be the number one draft pick she's going to be the number one <laughs> pick in the nba draft and as a trainer you know you always <laughs> look at a parent and you say okay elliot you know but he he believed it um he, he worked with her but more importantly charlie had the the work work ethic and the desire to accomplish it and you know when 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 he became you know sick and you know uh unfortunately you know you know passed away it 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 hit me it hit me pretty hard because of the type of man, the type of father that he was, but also um, just the love and and the commitment that he showed to Charlie. Um, so it, it's they're always special. I, you know, I, I check in with Ponda, you know, and 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 Charlie as much as I can. As she's gotten older, uh, you know, I, I I never I didn't have as much time um, to work with her. But you know, I've always tried to be there um, and to just to be there to be a mentor and, and and to talk to Ponda through anything that she had, you know, or anything that she needed through the process in college. And you know, if when Charlie comes home, if she needs anything. So, I mean, that's it's that's that's one of those special relationships, uh, not just with Charlie, but just you know, to call your family, you know. So they're always gonna gonna have a a special place, you know. Absolutely. Well, Ben, I want to I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, before we head out, I have a couple things. One, I know you you have a lot of Texas connections. If you could help my uh, Texas A and M men's basketball team, I think the women got it figured out. But the men's, <laughs> we we, uh, we need a little help so, coming soon. So, <laughs> if you could send some love our way, we'd appreciate it. But uh, believe it or not, I've I've uh, I've I've worked with them in the past few years on a number of occasions. We've gotten close on a lot of situations. Um, a lot of people don't know um, they were they were number two on the list uh, with Quentin when he when he oh, was wow, yeah. So don't it was that. between it was you know. <laughs> so I worked closely. I worked closely with them with that. Um, I'm working closely now uh, with them. You know, on a couple of you know, current situations. Uh, I'm always trying to help, you know, all of the Texas, as many of the Texas programs as I, as I'm able to, um, 
you know, especially the ones that kind of seek my guidance and seek my help. And, you know, so I'm always here for Buzz. I'm always here for Coach Law. You know, I'm here to help. So I, I'm, I, believe me, I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything that I can and everything that they ask of Awesome. Well, well, we appreciate it. Where, where can people find you if they want to find you uh, on Twitter or more about Perk Performance? Where can they do that? Well, I mean, my website is perkperformance.com. So, you know, my website gives all of my information, everything that's going on. On on Instagram and Twitter, I'm BP619, at BP619. Uh, so I'm easy to find there. If you want to look, uh, it's on both. If you want to look strictly with my uh, training program, it's uh, Perk Performance on, on both. If you look up at Perk Performance on Twitter and on uh, Instagram, I'm there, you know, kind of showing all of the things that I'm doing on a regular basis. So, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'm just trying to be a resource for the community and help anybody that wants my guidance and my help and uh, trying to be always available and accessible. Awesome. Well, like I said, thank you so much. We really do appreciate you taking the time with us. Definitely, definitely. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. Thanks, Ben.